Man, it's so, so exciting uh, to be here with you guys today. So, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to jump right into the word. I have a lot of content to cover today. Uh, I hope you're taking notes. I heard that note takers are history makers. That's what I heard. I don't know. So if you're taking notes, uh, man, if you're not taking notes, I would encourage you to do that. Because today we're talking about a topic, my God, is probably one of the most challenging teachings that Jesus has called us to live out. And it's on the subject of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And uh, how many of you know forgiveness is not easy? Overcoming offense is not easy, amen? So let's just take a minute right now and let's just pray, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, help! (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Let's go. Look at what Jesus said. Let's read this prayer together, right? We've been in this series, the Summer on the Mount. But let's read the Lord's Prayer together. Matthew 6, starting at verse 9. Come on, say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let me just start by saying, uh, depending upon which translation you read or which maybe denominational upbringing, you know, you were raised in, there's some language that may have been different in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, There's some translations that say, forgive us our debts. Some translations say, forgive us our trespasses. Uh, And then some say, forgive us our sins. So, but what I've discovered is that regardless of what translation you're used to reading, whether it's uh, the NIV, uh, the KJV, or the CDC, (laughs) y'all know ain't no CDC translation. (laughs) I'm trying to make sure y'all awake. (laughs) Yeah, I read that this morning. No, you didn't. (laughs) But listen, regardless of what translation you read, there are four words sequentially that don't change. They're in every translation. Here they are. Forgive as we forgive. And whenever we're talking about forgiveness, we need to understand that forgiveness is a hinge on a door that swings both ways. Come on, I don't know about you, I'm thankful that my sins have been forgiven. I'm thankful that my sins have been cast into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. But forgiveness is a hinge on a door that swings both ways. And Jesus instructs us that we should pray, God, forgive us as we forgive others. So I got to ask a quick question. I don't want to call no one out, but let me call some of y'all out. If you've ever been offended at any point in your life, just put your hand in the air right now. If you've ever been offended, all right, look around. Now, if you don't have your hand raised after the service, come up to the front so I can lay hands on you for lying in church. (laughs) We've all been, in fact, is there anyone you would be honest enough to say, baby, I've been offended just this morning. Like, I've been offended already. Come on, somebody. Thank God for the honest saints. Can I tell you, offense is inevitable. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. Offense is inevitable. There's opportunity to be offended around every single corner. There's opportunity to be offended at work. There's opportunity to be offended at school to my young people, my young adults in college. There's opportunity to be offended on the highway. Lord Jesus. 
There is opportunity to be offended at home, in your marriage. Don't even get me started on this Google-informed generation of Gen Z children. Come on. They built different, y'all. I don't know if you got kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews. These kids will tell you all about yourself. And your immediate response is to rebuke them until you realize that everything they said about you is like 100% true. Right? I was preaching a message at my church a few, uh, few weeks back on loving your enemies. And like it was two days later, I'm driving down the road and a car cut me off. And under my breath, I had my, my seven-year-old, Lion was in the back seat. And under my breath, I said, this idiot. And Lion in the back seat, Daddy, <laughs> you just said you're supposed to love your enemies to all them people. I'm disappointed. Like my seven-year-old, yo, I had to go home and give myself a whooping. Like I had to go home and discipline myself. Come on, offense is around every corner. Can I tell you, one of my mentors once told me this. He said that if you learn how to master the art of overlooking offense, then you will win in ministry. And let me just say this. Let me double down on that. If you and I can learn to overcome offense, then we will survive in life. Because let me tell y'all, there's a lot of pastors that don't make it in ministry because they cannot take the barrage of offense. There's offense even in the church. Can I tell y'all, I've been in ministry for 19 years. And in 19 years, my friend, I've had my fair share of offense. I remember being a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about six years. Y'all, I've had parents cuss me out. Like, not even online, like in between the first and second service. <laughs> Like in the lobby, straight up cussed me out. Uh, there was a time once where um, I was at a conference, preaching at a conference, and in the middle of my message, this guest speaker that was there didn't agree with whatever I was saying and stood up and began assaulting my character in front of about 700 people. Can I tell y'all, offense is real. And there may be some of you here in this room or maybe joining us online, and you may be thinking, man, like, I didn't know that stuff happened in the church. Oh, baby, let me go ahead and just lay it out for you. There was no such thing as a perfect church because the church is made up of imperfect people. In fact, I told a brother the other day, Pastor Lindsay, even if there was a perfect church, the moment your bucket head showed up, you're going to mess everything up. <laughs> Come on. There is no perfect church. Listen, and, and especially if you are uh, attending and if you are a part of a spiritual family like our Savior's Church in Jennings Campus. Why? Because the pastors and leadership of this house, they're dedicated to reaching people at any and every crossroad of life. Come on, somebody. We're dedicated to that, right? So here's what that means. That means when you show up on Sunday morning, you don't know what you're going to get sitting on that road. Come on, the person beside you might be straight out of their prayer closet or they might be straight out of Compton. You don't know. You don't know. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Come on. Right? Let's go. Offense is inevitable. And here's what I know. Here's why this mess, here's why I believe God just orca beautifully orchestrated this, this scenario today. Because what I know is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what you have in the bank. 
It doesn't even matter what you believe. The truth is that every single one of us in this room, we have experienced offense. And there are some of us here today, if we were to be totally honest, we would say, I've even been offended by God. I hold offense towards God because he didn't show up the way I thought he should have. Because he didn't do what I expected him to do. There's some of us here that are harboring offense, maybe towards a father that wasn't present. And when I say that, oftentimes we automatically think of young people. No, I'm talking about grown men and women in this room who are still battling with issues and dysfunctional mindsets that if traced all the way back, it would lead back to a disparity, a daddy issue. There are some of us in this room that have, that have experienced or are walking through a fence with a coworker, a boss, an employee. It might be paramount or it might be petty, but the end of the day, offense is real. It's inevitable, and if left unchecked, offense will destroy you. In fact, if you look up the word offense in its original context, you know, when Jesus speaks about offense, the original Greek language, it's actually a word, scandalon, scandalon. Do you want to know what that word means? That word means the trigger of a trap. So not just the trap itself. Offense is not just the trap. It's the trigger within that trap. So in other words, this trap, the enemy is laying out before you, before you even wake up in the morning and put your foot on the ground. How many of you know that there's an enemy that seeks to devour you? Come on, before you even open your eyes in the morning, the enemy is already laying out traps to catch you up. So what the Bible is, what the Bible is instructing us is that that, that that trap, the jaws are wide open. The teeth on that trap are razor sharp. But right upon that weight plate in the center, the bait is a fence. It's a fence. And we see it, and the moment we grab it, bam, the trap is sprung, and we are destroyed. So I say all that to say this today. Before we take another step into talking about offense and forgiveness, hear me today, my friend. We first got to understand that offense is not a human emotion. Offense is a premeditated attack from the enemy himself. Listen, we don't war against flesh and blood. Let's not be ignorant to the enemy's devices. This is a spiritual battle. And while we spend so much time hating and warring and fighting against one another, we can't lose sight of the fact that this whole thing is spiritual in nature. An offense, if left unchecked, will ruin your life. Let me tell you how. Here, here are three ways offense will destroy you. Number one, offense will leave you stuck. Offense will leave you stuck. You show me someone who's not moving forward in life. You show me someone that, 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 that whether in their life as a whole or in a compartment of their life where they're just stuck, I'll show you someone that is most likely harboring some type of offense from long ago. Time and time again, we'll find ourselves saying things like, well, they hurt me. They broke my heart. They didn't even care about what they did. They didn't say, I'm sorry. They didn't try to make it right. And if we're not careful, we will be 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, still stuck to a moment in the past. 
And can I tell you, church, we can never move forward until tomorrow as long as we're chained to yesterday. I've come to tell someone in Jennings, Louisiana, that God wants you unstuck. Listen to me. Offense will leave you stuck. Offense will leave you sick. Did you know that? Sick. There have been recent studies that have discovered that, that, that there is a link uh, between certain illnesses and unforgiveness. So people that harbor unforgiveness and, and all the gunk that comes with it, resentment and bitterness, the stress that comes with that, it has been medically linked to certain forms of cancer, arthritis, depression, migraines, and others. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 14.30. It says that a sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. I mean, imagine that. Science supporting what the word of God has already stated. And it just baffles me because every Sunday in houses of worship, we lift our right hand for healing in our bodies while holding on to unforgiveness in our left hand. And then we wonder why we don't see healing manifested in our bodies. Come on, somebody. I believe that for some, and again, not for all of us, but I believe for some of us, man, some of us aren't seeing the healing take, take place in our bodies because we're allowing the poison of unforgiveness to fester in our hearts. Listen to me. Offense will keep you sick. Here's the third one. Offense will leave you separated. Offense will isolate you. Can I tell you, if you're the type of person that offense is just always like hovering around your life like a vulture, whether knowingly or unbeknowingly, Either you're sowing offense or you're easily taking on offense. Can I tell you that you're going to have a hard time maintaining healthy relationships? Come on. Do, do you know anyone in your life that's just always offended at everything? Come on. Don't, don't elbow nobody. I'm just saying. They ain't here with you. They're not here. No, they're not here. Not today. No. But, but seriously, no one likes hanging around or being around someone that is always offended. They're always frustrated. They're always critical. They're always hurt. They're always No one wants to be around nobody like that. And the truth is, offense, there's a cycle to it. Come on, let's walk through the cycle. We've all been there. How does offense, how does the cycle of offense take place? Here it is. Number one, offense comes. What do we do? We curse it. We curse it. We say, oh. I cannot believe what that fool said to me. <laughs> Pastor Josh, can you believe? We try to bring Jesus into the con Jesus, you better fix it, Lord. Because I ain't been saved that long. <laughs> Come on, I'm holy, but I'm still a little hood. Come on, somebody. We curse it. Then what do we do after we curse it? Then we nurse it. Oh, man, we let that offense just crawl up in our lap. We nurture it. We tell that offense, you have every right to be in my life because they hurt you. They spoke evil. They, they betrayed you. You have every right to be here. And then we go to sleep carrying that offense and wake up the next morning. Come on, what does the Bible say? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But we go to bed and we wake up the next morning still, like even more angry than we were yesterday. Like, how are you going to wake up and be angry at breakfast? <laughs> like, what did the bacon do to you, right? Right? We curse it, then we nurse it, and, and here's the big one. Y'all better talk to me today. Then, then, then we rehearse it. They ain't going to talk to me today, Pastor. They're not going to talk to me. We, how many times have you been hurt or offended, and you go back and you rewind that offense? 
Come on, you play it back in your head. You make sure that it's in vivid color in 4K. Come on, we replay that offense. We slow it down in slow motion. Sometimes we'll zoom into the offense. Look, some of us will go back and edit that footage to make sure that we're the bigger person, to make sure that we're the better person. Look, can I tell y'all when you know you're, you, that you're real petty? Here it is. You know you cross the line of petty when you're not just rehearsing the offense, but you start then writing out a sequel to the offense. Come on, how many of you have ever said, I'll tell you what I am going to do or what I am going to say if they ever, if they ever try that foolishness again? I'm going to let them have a piece of my mind. I wish I could go back in time. Some of y'all have a cinematic universe of, of multiple scenes of how you want to confront that person and tell them how they hurt you. If you just had, some of y'all would win an Oscar for the way you've been rehearsing that moment. Right? We rehearse it. Then after we rehearse it, look at what we do. We verse it. We, ver we put language to it. What started off as an issue of the heart is now this dissension that we put into the earth. We begin telling people about it. And sometimes we tell people subtly. It's like subtle gossip. It's like, no, I'm just seeking counsel. What would you do in this situation? Right? Sometimes we're cutthroat. And sometimes we're so hurt that we want, we go on a mission to assassinate that person's character. Come on, sometimes we're so hurt that we want people to know what they did to us. And here's my favorite one, all my mature saints. It's not gossip. It's a prayer request. <laughs> I'm just asking for, I'm just asking, baby, we got to pray for Jamal. You know, he's back with that girl. You know, Becky with the good hair. <laughs> You know she's from the streets, don't you? <laughs> like, whoa, chill, Grandma, chill. Right? We begin spewing dissension and sowing strife in the earth. And then after we've done all of that, then we just burst it. We spend so much time replaying and rehearsing the offense, thinking about what they did, nurturing that offense, feeding it, gossiping we spend so much time doing that that we find ourselves in a place where we just think that this person is just a horrible human being and watch me here's what happens and when you get to that moment what started off as hurt has now turned into hate now watch me come on this is the journey we've been on it and then when we find ourselves in this place we cut them off and we take that hate and that frustration and those wounds that are continuing to fester, and we carry all of that emotional baggage into the next relationship. And we project all of, this, all of the dysfunction into the next one. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves bleeding all over people that didn't even cut us. Y'all, offense will destroy you. So the question we have to ask today is this. If we know what offense is, how do we overcome it? Well, Jennings, I'm so glad you asked. Because the answer is simple, but the answer is not easy. The way we overcome offense is through the power of forgiveness. Through the power of forgiveness. 
Come on, can we just dive into this thing today? Are you guys ready? I said, are you ready? Our Savior's church. <laughs> Here it is. Here are three keys to living a lifestyle of forgiveness. Number one, I have to confess my offense. So, again, it starts with me. Come on, look at your neighbor say, it's me. Come on, that neighbor was real stuck up. I don't know why they looked at you like that. Look at your other neighbor. Look at your other neighbor. <laughs> say, it's me. <laughs> it's me. It starts with me. I have to first confess my own offense. Can I tell you one of the characters that I love in the word of God more than any other is David. I love David. I love David, and here's why. Because David was a man who had been through some stuff. David was a man who, 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 who he didn't have the greatest journey or the greatest track record. David was overlooked by his father when he was a child. David was passed over. Whenever David uh, finally became king, after running and spending years of his life fleeing in fear while King Saul was trying to murder him, David finally becomes king, and he begins to lust after Bathsheba, and the lust overtook him. He, he succumbed to the lust so much so that he had Bathsheba's husband sent to war to be murdered so he could sleep with Bathsheba. Like, that's like a soap opera, y'all. Don't tell me the Bible ain't boring. It's crazy. And then the baby that was born out of that adulterous affair lost its life. So here's David, who has blood on his hands, an adulterer, and who now has lost a child. He goes into a battle of depression. His emotions are running amok. David grows older, and in his later years as king of Israel, he, he, th th there's, there's a rebellion that rises up against him. The nation is split. And guess who's leading the rebellion? His own son. David is a man who's been through some stuff. But yet, you want to talk about offense. David, he sowed offense, and he was also the receiver of offense. But what's crazy to me is that in, in spite of all that David went through, David was still considered in Scripture to be a man after God's own heart. Huh. Isn't that odd? How can a narcissistic lust-filled, adulterous murderer be still, could still be considered a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you why. Because in Psalms 51, he writes this song, and it expresses, I believe, what is the key. Here it is. David says this. He says to God, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Come on, can I say that one more time? For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and against you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Did you catch that? David is a man of sorrow. Many sorrows. But David understood. He was fully reliant upon God's mercy but he was equally aware of his own humanity. Can I tell you something? If we're going to first walk in forgiveness towards our brothers, we've got to first understand that we, none of us, are perfect, that we ourselves are depraved. 
that we ourselves are in need of forgiveness. You know, there's a common misconception amidst many Christians that, baby, I've been walking with God a long time. So because I've been walking with God, I don't really need no correction. I don't need accountability. I don't need a circle of men or women correcting me and leading me and giving me wisdom. And I believe that that's the reason why we see so many great men of God fall into moral sin. Come on, can we talk about it in the house of God? Because we have this idea that the longer we walk with God, some of us 40 years old, I turned 39 in a few months, 50, 60, 70 years old, we think that because we've walked with God so long that what they did to me, I'm justified, they're wrong. We think that we get better at becoming holy and doing holiness. But the adverse is true because what I've discovered in my journey with Jesus, church, is that the more that I grow to discover his heart and the longer that I walk with Jesus, I don't get better at holiness. I actually become more and more aware of my depravity. I become more aware of my need for God. I become more aware of the fact that I need accountability. I need correction. I need men and women of God speaking into my life. David said, I am fully aware of my rebellion. He said, your judgment towards me is just, it's right. And can I tell you, church, we are no different. We are no different. Can I tell you today, church, that when we come to the Lord saying, God, I am spiritually bankrupt in your presence. I need you. I'm not broke. I'm not spiritually broke. I am spiritually bankrupt. When we come to God like that, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. What would you do tomorrow if you got a phone call that all of your financial debt in your life had been paid off? Come on, I'm talking about the mortgage. Talking about the credit card bills. Come on, Miss Lori. I'm talking about the car note. I'm talking about your student loan. Jesus. Like, y'all will be running Jericho laps around this campus. Y'all looking at me crazy right now, but y'all will be running around this campus, and I'll be right behind you. <laughs> Lord, would you do it? <laughs> right? Well, listen, God did the same thing in our souls. When he eradicated the sin and the filth and the wickedness, when we, when we came and surrendered our lives to the Lord. Come on, we have to confess our own offense. Here's a second thought. Here it is. You ready for it? After we confess our offense, then we have to release their offense. Come on, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. <laughs> we have to release their offense. In the words of the great philosopher Queen Elsa, we got to let it go. Let it go. Now, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Let me, let me help you. I, I want to help some of you walk in freedom today. Forgiveness is not denial. Okay? Forgiveness is not suppression. It's not hiding under the covers like a child acting as if this thing didn't happen. Forgiveness is not dismissive. It doesn't justify what they did. Can I tell you, if someone violated you in a real way, you did not deserve that. And forgiveness would not say anything otherwise. Hey, watch this. Forgiveness is not even trusting. 
So if someone has offended you and broken trust time and time again, and they have a track record of doing so, you can forgive them, but that doesn't mean you jump right back into a relationship of trust. No, brother. No, no. Forgiveness is not even reconciliation. Now, listen, I'll say this. As believers, reconciliation should be the goal as it is possible. But at the end of the day, that's a completely different journey. I'll tell you what forgiveness also is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Come on. I'm thankful that Jesus remembers my sins no more. Come on, somebody. I'm glad that my sins are no longer remembered by God. But guess what? I ain't Jesus. And, brother, I still remember. (laughs) Like Michael Jackson, I remember the time. (laughs) Right? But you want to know what else forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not impossible. It's not impossible. Come on, with the spirit of God alive in your being, you can walk in forgiveness. You can forgive that individual. You really can. You can walk in freedom. In fact, let me just pause right here. And I want to shift, I want to shift things around a little bit because this is the moment where it gets a little dicey. Because when we start talking about offense and releasing the offense, this is the moment where memories start flooding in. This is the moment where trauma is awakened. This is the moment where some of you, the enemy, will begin begin building walls around your heart to shut out the truth of God's word. But don't allow that to take place. In fact, I want us to shift our perspective a little bit. And I want you to lean in because there's a story that Jesus tells about this man who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. And the Bible says that this man came before the king begging for mercy, and the king dismissed him. He pardoned his debt. He let him go free. <laughs> but Jesus says that as soon as this man went free, and again, theologians believe that the 10,000 bags of gold is actually synonymous to basically saying he had a debt that he could not afford to pay back. Like, couldn't pay it back. And immediately after being set free of this debt, this guy tracks down a friend who owes him a hundred silver coins. And he demands payment and he throws him in prison until payment is made. Well, needless to say, things don't end well for this gentleman. He's dragged right back into the presence of the king. And look at what the king says to him. In Matthew 18, 32, the king says, you wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to do so. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now pause and let me ask you a question. If God forgave you the same way that you forgive others, would it be a good thing or would it be a bad thing? That's why when I'm in prayer, when I'm struggling with with an offense, I have to remind myself every single day that I didn't earn my forgiveness. I received it. And hear me, church, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, hear me when I say this to you. If you think that you're earning God's forgiveness, 
then you're going to expect other people to earn your forgiveness. Well, Pastor Kervin, what do you say? Here's what I'm saying, that if you have a problem and you struggle with forgiving others, most likely it's because you have a problem receiving God's forgiveness. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve it. Maybe you feel as if you got to somehow still pay God back for what you've done as if the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. And when you don't have an authentic revelation of God's grace, then you will live your life thinking that God is somehow dangling your sin above your head. And in turn, you will go through this life doing the same thing to others. That's why we say hurt people hurt people. You will never, hear me church, you will never walk in love and forgiveness apart from knowing that you are loved and forgiven. In fact, if I can double down on it, hear me today. If I can double down, I will say this. Your ability to forgive will always be linked to the revelation of how much you have been forgiven. Amen? We got to release their offense. Here's my third thought today as I close. Every guest speaker gets three fake closes. This is my first fake close, brother. Online, this is it. Here it is. You got to release their offense, and then you have to resist future offense. You have to resist future. So oh, how do I do that? It's simple. Don't go outside with every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> no, like, y'all, it's inevitable. Offense is around every single corner. Listen, as soon as you get over something that you're harboring right now, some of y'all are going to get offended by your spouse or by your kids on the way home from church in just a few minutes, right? So what I want to do is give you just four quick little nuggets. I'm, I'm going to move through these really quick. They're very practical, and I hope that some of you find freedom. Here it is. How do you overcome future offense? Number one, you look in the mirror before you look out the window. Look in the mirror before you look out the window. What do I mean by that? You know, some of us will say, well, I'm not easily offended. I'm not, I'm not the type to get offended. No, I just think the world is full of a lot of jerks. <laughs> and they get on my nerves. It's them, oh, it's them, right? Well, let me just say this. If Sean has a problem with Cindy, and if Sean also has a little issue with Brita, and if Sean tells Pastor Lindsay that, she, that, that he's about to cut off Lisa and Rebecca, if you're Sean... I got a newsflash for you. You're probably the problem. See, what happens is for some of us, again, I'm not trying to step on toes, but go ahead and slide your foot out there real quick. Just slide it out because I'm going to help you. There are some of us who are naturally, we're, we're just, we have a natural bent to be carriers of offense. Some of us just, some of us, carry offense and 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 we and we live lives we, we carry this spirit of offense where we're easily and oftentimes those of us who carry the spirit of offense it's either rooted in pride or it's rooted in insecurity but can I tell you something church we got to shake that thing off we've got to bring it under under the submission of Jesus 
So here's, how, here's a practical way. Look in the mirror. I challenge you. Here's some homework for you if you want it. Go to some friends and ask them these questions. Hey, do you think I get offended easily? Do I come across as prideful or arrogant? Come on, some of y'all are like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. <laughs> or, hey, if you really want to grow, I dare you to go ask somebody these questions that you don't really get along with because they'll tell you about yourself. But here's the deal. When you ask these questions, it's going to help you possibly discover whether or not you have a spirit of offense, and that's a real thing. All right, here's the second thing that we can do practically. Examine your expectations. Examine. Here's what I mean by that. Examining your expectations. Every offense, whether big or small, paramount or petty, every single offense, if you boil it all the way down, can all be traced back to unmet expectation. Every offense. All right? But have you ever stopped to consider that maybe, maybe your expectations are unrealistic? Maybe your expectations have not been communicated clearly. Come on, we always talk about unmet expectations, but what about unspoken expectation? What about unrealistic expectation? What about unknown expectations? Some of us just walking through life expecting everyone else to know what we need and how you should govern yourself in my presence. <laughs> what? You're not the Pope, right? Now, let me just say this, though, before I move on about expectations. Now, there are some expectations that are legitimate. A child should have an expectation for their parents to protect them and to love them and to care for them. Come on, your spouse, there's nothing, you should have an expectation for your spouse to be faithful to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the petty offenses that we harbor and allow to fester in our lives. We have to examine our own expectations. Come on, someone say number three. Here it is. I'll move quick. You got to have courageous conversations. You got to have the conversation. Listen, you cannot let the sun go down while you're angry. Because the longer you go harboring that resentment, it's just going to fester. And Come on, have you ever been frustrated with someone and it got so bad to the point where you couldn't even stand to look just, just to see them? Well, I know we all saved and we ain't going to admit that. But we've all had a season where there's someone that, and you can't really figure it out. Like, why does this person frustrate me so much? I promise you, if you trace it back, there was a moment where there was a fence that you didn't deal with. So we have to have the conversation. And when we have, thank you, Holy Ghost, and when you have the conversation, it's not up to you how they respond. Come on. That's between them and God. Let me say that one. I feel that someone needs to, I'm going to say it one more time. When you go and stretch out a hand of forgiveness, you do it expecting nothing in return. Because what they do and how they respond is between them and God. All you are responsible for is all that you are responsible for. Amen? That's good for someone in this place. And here it is. Here's the last one, and I'm, here's my second fake close. Here we go. You have to choose forgiveness now. Choose forgiveness now. What do you mean by that? <laughs> if offense is inevitable, and it is, you, if you know that it's, I mean, guys, some of y'all will be offended at something. Some of y'all are probably offended by something I said today. I don't know. 
Like, can we be honest? Like, I promise you that on the way home, before you lay your head down tonight, there is a fence that will come. I promise you that that coworker that gets on your nerves, they're at work right now doing push-ups and jumping jacks, just waiting for you to show up Monday morning. They're just, they're ready. Ah, they're ready. So if we know that a fence is right in front of us, right outside of these doors, then why would we be foolish enough to step into a battlefield without any armor? So we have to choose forgiveness before the offense comes. We have to wake up in the morning and say, God, by the power of your spirit, fill me up with your grace and with your love so I can walk through this earth and be who you've called me to be in this world. Are y'all with me today? You cannot wait until the offense comes to decide how you're going to respond to it. Because at that point, it's not a response. It's a reaction. And God has not called us to live that way. Amen? So hear me, church. We got some work to do. There are some of us, whoever's on the keys, y'all can come out. This is a good moment right here. Because hear me, this isn't easy stuff that we're talking about. There are some of us that have a phone call that we need to make this afternoon. There's some of us, there's a text message that you need to send. It can't even wait until this afternoon. There's some of you that need to send a text message as soon as you get in the car. There's a FaceTime call maybe that some of you need to make. And let me just say this too. For some of you, whatever the scenario, for some of you, there is no call to make. There is no text to send. For some of you, that step of forgiveness is simply you getting in the presence of God. Just say, Lord, I release them. Whatever it looks like, y'all, we've got to walk in it. Because there's too much work to be done in this city. And there's too much work to be done in our families for the people of God to be harboring for unforgiveness and bitterness. I love the words of Philip Yancey. He said, at last I understood in the final analysis, that forgiveness is an act of faith. Did you catch that? It's an act of faith. And by forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even, and I leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. A wise man once said that to forgive another is to set a prisoner free, only later to discover that the prisoner was you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Come on, I feel the Spirit of God in this room right now. He's here. So, Lord, I just pray, even right now, Lord, a message like this, God, that, that you taught to your people, that you gave to us, an instruction, a mandate. Lord, it's difficult to do, and we can't do it without your Spirit, God. We cannot do it without your Spirit. So I pray that in this room that we be a people, Lord, who are open 
to receive your instruction, to be practicers, to, to be doers and not just hearers. I pray, God, that you would strengthen every heart today. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who are here, Lord, who may have wounds that have never healed, those who may have trauma, Lord, that has never been addressed. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing in this place. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people. Lord, in light of all that you've done for us, in light of how you've forgiven us and been merciful to us, I pray, God, that we would be a people that would extend that same mercy, that we would extend that same forgiveness. Because, Lord, we look most like you when we love those who curse us, when we bless those who've hurt us. So, Lord, give us strength. Give us wisdom. And teach us to forgive the way you've forgiven us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.